You're listening to The Conversation, a part of Orchard Hill Teaching Podcast, where we talk about the recent teachings at Orchard Hill Church and how we can apply what we've been learning in our everyday lives. I'm Jonathan Rogers. I'm here today with Carla Chestnut, your first time. Thank yeah. you for being here. Thanks, and, Jonathan. And Dave Bartlett. Yep. Dave, Thanks, Johnny. you just got back from warm. Yes. Right? You were just, a little we were bit warm. A little bit yes. of warm. Arizona. Back to the cold. Uh, I think we canceled church the last two weeks in Grundy Center and Waverly, and we canceled this week in Cedar Falls. I was going to ask you, have you ever, do you remember, remember a time when we've had like two weeks like this with canceled services? No, no. I was just telling Alice and Jeff that I thought this is the first time two weeks in a row. Yeah. It's crazy. So, it is. Uh, if people have forgotten, we are in the middle of um, uh, the prodigal uh, family series where we're talking about the prodigal son story. I thought one of the ways we could kind of kick off the conversation today was just talking about um, which son you identify more with. I identify more with the older one. I'm the oldest of uh, three kids. Um, so I, I don't know if it's, if it's birth order or what, but I identify more with the, with the older son. What about you guys? What do you uh, identify with? I would say I identify more with the younger son, especially because like part of my story is having a baby when I was a senior in high school. So like That's I think right. in my parents' mind, that was like just squandering this inheritance that they'd prepared for me, you know? Yeah. But then I think the I have kind of a yo-yo response when I'm more like the younger son than I flip over into this older son to make up for it. So maybe I'm both. Yeah. I was thinking I have parts of both in me. But if I have to choose, I'm the older son too, predominantly. I'm the oldest of four brothers. So that probably had an effect. And uh, I, it, uh, I, my life has been marked more by inside rebellion than outside rebellion which is what I see in that older mm. son. And so I've been, as the oldest kid, responsibility, I've been more of a, on the outside, I'm looking okay, but on the inside, I got to work. Yeah. Carla, where do you fall in the in the birth order? I am family? the youngest, but only of two. Okay. And my brother's five years older than okay. I am, so kind of an only in yeah. some ways. He was yeah. out of the house pretty young, and yeah. I was just there. Yeah. Interesting. Sometimes I wonder where the, you know, birth order, how if that plays a role in yeah. some of that. Uh, you know, there's always people that fall either way, but, yeah. um, so I, uh, one of the things I want to talk about is that we all have stressors, um, in our lives that affects our relationships. Um, and I think you both kind of talked about keeping your heart in a place where you don't hurt your family members, mm. right. With the things that you say or do, um, when stress levels are high. So I'm, I thought maybe we could just talk about how do you, how do you do that? Or what, what do you do to kind of get your heart in that place? To me, uh, Johnny, it begins with self-awareness. Uh, I've noticed since you gave me this question a few days ago, and I've been thinking about this, that I am aware of times when I think stress is going to rise. So I think ahead of time. The holidays raise stress. Um, financial pressure raises stress. And so then ahead of time, I'm thinking this is going to be a high stress time. Therefore, what do I need to be doing? How do I need to respond differently? Thinking ahead. So I, to me, that's one of the factors. So planning ahead. Planning ahead. Really. And intentionally saying, this is going to be a high-stress time. Uh, sometimes stress walks in the door and I didn't see it coming. That's a different issue. But lots of times we can know, you know, back to school, uh, snow days. I mean, there's all <laughs> kinds of things that we ought to know are going to increase stress. Who knew that snow days were so stressful? <laughs> or like exactly. Eight of them in a row or whatever it's been. Yeah. And now, you know, all these young parents are saying, you know, we need the kids back in school. Yeah. 
a lot of times it's just the routine that we need. You know, you get yeah. knocked out of your routine and you don't even realize how stressful it is to be out of your routine. Yes. Um, sometimes I realize that at the end of a school year, you know, when summer starts to cut, you don't, you don't know what's, you know, what routine is going to be. And then all of a sudden you get into a new one, but that transition time is kind of hard. Absolutely. So, yeah. You know, the, the first snow day is awesome. Like yeah, everybody exactly. loves right. a snow day, right. but being out of routine for an extended period of time is yeah. super stressful. Yeah. What about you? I would say, um, you know, I'm thinking back to when our kids were little, they're all grown and out of the house now, mm -hmm. but we intentionally tried to keep things as simple as possible. So, you know, having six kids, they really could be in one thing plus piano, you know, so we had to say no to some things that they maybe would have liked yeah. to have done just to yeah. keep routine. You know, we, you couldn't, we just couldn't be running all the time. Yeah. And we had kids that really want, liked to be home. So going places was stressful for them. So we tried to, you know, just make it work for everybody in some ways, but keeping things simple. We also had like a lot of sayings that Sean and I would say to each other, like, okay, the grownups have to be the grownups. And yeah, that was a powerful one for us. That's hilarious. I actually had that as a question I was going to ask you about. Cause I remember you talked about that, like I think maybe two years ago in one of your teachings. I loved that yeah. little saying, the grownups have to be the grownups because Man, there's so many times when I'm not acting like a grown-up. Yeah, you just want to join the kids right in <laughs> right. whatever they're doing, definitely. Yeah, right. Another saying we had was like, um, they're kids. This is just what kids do, you know? So we had to remind ourselves of that. Like, this isn't really even like disobedience or disrespect. This is just kid. There's kids. Mm -hmm. And so that was really helpful to us, I think. And then Dave made a comment in his teaching about a lot of the things that you start to get resentful about are things you actually chose. So I remember Sean and I would have to do that sometimes too. Like we have six kids and we chose to have six kids, right. you know, so it's going to be crazy sometimes. And we chose to have one income. So there's not going to be a lot of money. And we chose that. So, you know, you just have to kind of pony up and <laughs> remember, like, this is the life we chose because we want it, but it's hard sometimes. Right. Yeah. Man, those are good. Those are good sayings. I, I really like that, Carla, because I, I, I have to, I talk about recalibrating my thinking and my heart. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm doing. I'm going, you know, you're where you are. Sure, there are surprises that come yeah, at Yeah, absolutely. But a lot of it is our choices. Mm -hmm. And we made the choices. And if we were thoughtful, we knew we would have these kind of days. So yeah. let's just pony up. Yeah. The other thing is like, I remember when I was a kid, my brother and I fought like crazy in the car. So sometimes we just remembered, actually our kids were behaving better than we did as kids, you know? And oh, we, were, yeah. we weren't hard teenagers, but you know, we had a teenage life. And so just remembering what we were like helped us keep our hearts, I think, in a good place. Yeah. Um, so these are kind of ways that you increase some maybe patience, right? I mean, saying somebody has to be the grownups, mm -hmm. uh, something like that, recalibrating your mind. Um, are there other ways that you, that you, um, that you tell yourself, I need to be patient in this situation or that I can increase patience because patience is a big deal when trying to do things that don't hurt other people. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, what Carla said about remembering what I was like as a kid and how you just can't be aware of all that stuff going on as a kid. I, I now watch my grandkids, and they're in our house a lot. And, uh, 
you just have to remember kids are kids and they're not going to understand what I understand Mm -hmm. and kind of that increases my patience. Yeah. When, when I remember, okay, they're kids. Yep. I remember the monotony would just get to me sometimes, you know, like that just every day you get up and get kids ready for school. And every night you read often like the same books over and over again. So one of the things that helped me a lot to be patient was just to make up silly songs. Like in the morning, I always had this I'm making pancakes song. And it just was like, my way kind of to self calibrate, like, yep, this is what we're doing. We're making pancakes and dance, even if you kind of maybe didn't feel like dancing sometimes. And then at night, you know, when the like, you've read that book 10,000 times. And so then I would just add silly, maybe even slightly inappropriate words to the book. And then the kids would laugh and, you know, just try to make it fun and get through (laughs) another morning and another night of what you love. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Uh, This is exactly what I want to be doing, even though in this moment, it feels boring. Yeah. Uh, uh, how, how do you re- recalibrate constantly about that? Right. This is the life I dreamed of, but right now it feels boring. And I 100% know I need to read these books to this kid. Yes. Because this There's is no the question. best thing I can possibly do. Yeah. But I will have to put the word butt and poop possibly <laughs> in that <laughs> sentence to be able to do it. All right. I'm using yeah. that tonight. <laughs> put those words in, in the books. Um, see, I heard people talking about um, this idea that we are encouraged to remember that we work for the church, but our kids don't. And I know, Tra- Carla, you you shared this in your teaching. You called it image management. Yeah. Um, and I think you had said one one person said the idea was intriguing and that they, they knew that it was important, but they didn't really get it, understand it. Um, and then there was this idea about family, because not everybody works for the church, obviously, and families right. own businesses or, you know, they have something else that, um, that their kids, uh, you know, affects their image management. Um, are kids responsible for the images of their family businesses or, or other things like that? Yeah, and I think even tied up in that question is, you know, I think as parents, you do want your kids to have some pride in family, but it can get so off track. So I was kind of hoping Dave could flesh that out because you're the one that always reminds us in staff meetings, you know, yeah. remember you work for the church, but your kids don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was always easy for me to understand and bring to our staff you know, as the leader of Orchard for all those years, and my kids were growing up, um, it's hard to be the leader of a church. And, and you know, you got 2,000 people who think they know what your life should be like. And I had to put up a strong wall between that and my kids. Mm -hmm. And even my kids now as adults say, Dad, you did work hard to put up a strong wall, but we still felt some of it. Right. We still felt some of it. Uh, but one, we need to put up the wall. And Johnny, I love that you're asking. It's not everybody works for a church. It's like my business or my image or I'm the principal or a teacher at a school. And don't my kids. And I think one of the things as parents for the most healthy, thriving families, we have to get it in our head, put a rule in our head. The kids do not represent me. They weren't hired. They don't. They're going to make mistakes. And so let's let them be kids in this way, too making mistakes. And if my image is tied up in how my kid responds to something, we have a family problem. And so can we break out of that? And I even hear kids say, uh, and there's a good side to this, uh, well, you're a Bartlett, and Bartlett's whatever. 
as long as it stays to the positive. Mm-hmm. But man, you that's you have to be very careful about that. It's so countercultural too. It, I mean, I I think it's common for kids for parents to drop their kids off and say, "Make me proud." Yes. You know. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and I would t- I would turn that so much and go become the person you need to be. Uh, uh, even make me proud has a real downside. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's it's about making me proud instead of about you becoming who you were meant to be. Right. Uh, this this uh, and this is huge, Johnny. As I've been a youth director for years and years and years, you just see how much pain comes out of this. Um, I need you to be a good soccer. Uh, I need you to get to state in cheerleading. I need it's it's so much driven by the needs of the parents mm-hmm. rather than what's best for the kids. Yeah, and what I've noticed is, like, so I, one person asked me about like a family business. Like, well, I need to, my family needs to be healthy because I'm trying to do business in this community. But I've seen people then just ignore hard things about their kids rather than like deal with it. And then it almost makes it worse, you know? And it's no secret to anyone, but if they could just say, hey, you know, everybody has problems and kids make really good kids do really dumb things, but we need to deal with it and it doesn't make you less a member of this family or. Yep, And, and the whole new authentic leadership that our culture is dying for is just the opposite of that. I don't need to look good to do business in the community. I need to honestly and authentically be a person Right. In order to do business, and uh, honesty and authenticity as a person means my family is going to act out at times. Right. So it's a whole different view. I would say in the last thirty years, of what does it look like to be a businessman in town is no longer I look good. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm authentic. Life is real. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I mean, it kind of goes back to a little bit, of, Carla, your statement of. Um, somebody's got to be the grownups, right? And, and kind of the old cliche, two wrongs don't make a right. Like you don't, when your kids start doing something, you don't then stoop to that same level and try to butt heads with them, right? Right. I mean, you try to, okay, let's be the, let's find a way to make good out of this or right. something. Yep. Right. And also, Johnny, you don't shove it under the table right? and hide it. Right, yeah. That's the other kind of uh, the two, mistake. Two dark sides Yeah, of that the are. two dark sides. Yeah. Um, Dave, you also talked about uh, making this beautiful music. Uh, you talked about this at the gathering and also in, in this teaching, um, making beautiful music when we're doing chopstick. God, God kind of comes behind us and sits behind us, right, and makes beautiful music out of our lives. Um, what can I do uh, today to see how God is, is doing that in my life? Yeah, yeah that's a great question, Johnny. Uh, I, I, th- I think what helps me the most is look for the good gifts God gives me every single day in the life of my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think when I do that, when I look for the good gifts in the midst of all the pain and all the struggle and all the boredom, when I look for the good gifts, like, wow, there's one. And it's in the life of my kid. Mm-hmm. And it changes the way I see it. And it changes the, the, the song that I'm, that I'm hearing in my life. Uh, and I just think we're, we're not very good at this. We're not very good at uh, the other um, few weeks ago, our whole family was coming, our, our 19, our family was coming. And uh, I did that with each of my grandkids before they came. I said, now, what is special about Grant? What is special about Riley? 
and what do I want to look for? And it changed how I viewed the whole weekend. Yeah. And just, I think, don't you think as a parent realizing you just have peanut butter fingers? Right. Playing the, you know, trying to do family and that, and you knew that already, but to know that everybody else has peanut butter fingers too is just, and that there is a bigger, more beautiful thing going on in your family than you can even see. Yeah. And you have some access to, I think that's really powerful. Yeah. I think there's some, uh, there's some power in knowing that it's not all on me because I feel like when it's on me, I just make so many mistakes. So just knowing that God is orchestrating it all using my imperfectness and mm-hmm. all the mistakes that I make, um, it, you know, it makes me feel the burden is less on me Yeah, because God's, God's got this, right? Yeah. And all I can do, all I know is chopsticks. Right. And I'm playing it as best I can. Right. And I even miss some notes in chopsticks, mm-hmm. but, but God's doing something beautiful. And Johnny, I'll tell you now that I'm older and my grown kids are raising their kids, I actually see it even it, when I see my grown kids be better parents than I was, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my goodness, what God is doing through my strengths and weaknesses. Right. Right. That's the other thing. God promises to use our weaknesses. Yeah, and I think when you have that picture of God making beautiful music, it even makes the scary parts of your kids making mistakes or making choices you wouldn't, you know that something's going to happen out of that that yeah. Yeah. can bring powerfully beautiful things and you know unexpected learning or the way they can relate to somebody that they wouldn't have been able to relate to before yeah Yeah. just less fear i think with that picture Mm -hmm. yeah uh dave i've also heard you talk about um how to prepare yourself for different types of situations Mm -hmm. and you said you've done this before like um, envision certain things happening and how you would respond. Yeah. Can you talk about yeah, that a little yeah. bit? Yeah. Uh, in my mind, what I'm, what I'm doing there is I'm practicing for the surprise crisis. So whatever the crisis is. And it, now that I've taught this enough at Orchard, I've actually had dads and moms come up to me and tell me this made a difference for them. So I practice my son wreck I practice the idea of my son wrecking the car and how am I going to respond? What am I going to say? What's going to happen with my face? Um, I, I practiced, uh, in the old days when my kids were teenagers, I practiced one of them saying he was trying drugs. I practiced, uh, I, I picked, I was picked up for shoplifting. I actually practiced how I wanted to respond in that moment because then I wouldn't make a mistake because so many dads have told me, especially dads, that they just go off, that they just go off. And once you say those words, for instance, you're nothing but a thief. Once those words would come out of your mouth to a kid, they're in his brain forever. And I just didn't want to make that mistake. So let's practice in advance what I'm going to do with my face, how I'm going to use my words. And then if I haven't practiced it, my rule was I'm going to be quiet. And my dad actually modeled that. Uh, My brother got picked up and was in jail one night. And my dad went two days before he said anything to him. And he was trying to figure out what to say. And uh, my brother was telling me, like, Dave, I just wish he'd say anything, you know? Right. But he was just taking some time. So in some ways, I've had that modeled real well. So it's better just to be quiet and not yes, say anything yes. than to say those words because they can be so damaging. But Yeah, and they just stick in that kid's mind forever. Right, right. Carly, you talked a little bit about this um, in your teaching as well. 
when you talk about the story of the your uh, child who ran away. Yeah. Which is crazy. I've forgotten that happened. Yeah. Um, do you see that happen? Did you see that happening in that situation? Yeah, I think there were. I mean, that wasn't one we saw coming. Right. So that was a hard one. There have been a couple that we haven't seen coming, you know, and yes. that was a harder one. But I, you know, for us, it was, it felt bigger than us. So we just reached out to our small group immediately. And then we had six people at our house, you know, a couple of people brought cleaning supplies because, you know, you always feel better when your house is clean and, yeah. you know, just helping us think through what to do next. And then in the weeks following, helping us kind of manage all the different feelings we were having, mm. like fear, you know, so much fear. Our daughter th- just wanted to experience the world and have an adventure, but, you know, she was 16 years old and just the fear that we had in there and then anger and disappointment and, you know, just helping us to navigate all of that. And, um, and then Sean and I just decided, you know, we're going to, she's going to be back in our life someday. How are we going to be prepared for that when that happens in a good way, in a way that, you know, everybody can thrive or. And I think you also talked about how you handled that situation really is why she's a part of your life today. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We, um, you know, like I said, we, we, we had a good feeling that she would be back in our life someday. And, um, you know, lots of stuff happened. And we, you know, along the way, we just tried to figure out how we were going to operate. And one of the things we realized is we would need some really hard, fast boundaries around a, a couple of things that would actually free us up to have a relationship with her. So, you know, how how much were we going to help her financially? How much were we going to, you know, just, yeah, different things that actually allowed us then to be full of grace and interested in her life, um, help, and I think it built trust then down the road so that when she really needed some help that we felt like was appropriate, we could help her and, you know, listen and, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I see, I see the same thing. You and Sean, in that case, a 16-year-old daughter runs away. You're being the responsible adults. Right. You're not letting her action drive. And this is what I see so often. We let a kid's action drive us to places where we shouldn't be. Right. And mm-hmm. what you were saying, we're, we're going to be the adults. Right. Yep. And do the really hard thing of realizing we didn't have as much power or the control that we thought maybe we did in that situation. And when you can't make things happen the way you want them to happen, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, do you stay in the relationship? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Johnny, once, once your kids are 13, 14, uh, the amount of power you actually have in their life is decreasing. And, And an adult, a parent has to understand that. That uh, here you've got a 16-year-old daughter and you think we have a lot of power. Well, the truth is you don't because it's about their heart. Yeah, it's it's totally about their heart. Yeah, and that's where, you know, having a picture of beautiful music that you could hold on to, that there's some beautiful music in this. It might not be for 15 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And really scary, like something horrible could happen at the same time, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I like your 15 years. I mean, uh, uh, this is not, we're not talking weeks or months here, Johnny. Uh, like when she says, we'll have a relationship with our daughter. They're not thinking next month. Mm-hmm. They're thinking like years mm-hmm. from now. 
we can have this more like what we hope for. Right. And we thought, you know, we need to think ahead and plan ahead. And we figured we'd probably hear from her when she had a family of her own. Yeah. And that was when yeah. she came back into our lives and we were able to meet, you know, meet our grandkids and be, have some influence in their life. And that was really beautiful. But you could have burned the bridge. Yeah. And that's the thing we're really saying. Don't burn bridges when our kids act out. Mm-hmm. So what if we do burn that bridge mm. um, or we, you know, get real close to burning it? We have a pretty uh, bad reaction to something. What do we do to start to bring restoration to that relationship? Yeah, the first real simple answer, but very important, is ask for forgiveness from our kids. When I say something I didn't want to say or when I behave in a way that I felt pushed into but I wasn't the responsible adult, mm-hmm. it's really important that I say, I, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Uh, this actually comes from a friend of mine years back who spoke here, Ken Davis. He, he reminded me early, if I don't model that, my kids will never be able to do it. So if I want my kids to be able to apologize and ask for forgiveness, it starts with the parents doing it to model what that behavior is. Yeah. And I think even saying the words, if I could take that sentence back, I would do anything to be able to take that back, you know, so that you even just can help them know, like, I know that wounded you and I wish, and I know that I can't take it back, but I wish I could. Yeah. 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 And I'm sorry. And will you forgive me? Mm-hmm. And so then that's the first step. But I also know that it's once you do something, it's, I don't know, 10 times easier to do that same thing again. So if I say, if I say words, harmful words, and I'm in that situation again down the road, those words have already come out. So it's easier to say them again. That actually happened to me. Yeah. Like I learned this apologize to your kids thing, which was real counter to a lot of what was in my head. But I realized that I was saying it semi-frequently and it made me realize, oh, you are not planning in advance. Like, just like yeah. what you're saying, you know, then maybe you need to, if you're finding yourself apologizing to your kids a lot, which I don't think is super healthy relationally, right? Right. Then you maybe need to be planning ahead for, this is probably going to happen again. This is a pattern we're getting into. This is something where, yeah, this kid maybe knows how to get, arise out of me and I'm allowing it. So what am I, how am I going to be creative in this? Yeah. How do I change my response in advance of it coming? And it's kind of like replacing a rule in your head. The next time, it's not just that I'm not going to do that, but what am I going to do? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to give myself a time out and leave the room. Yep. Uh, I'm, I, definitely give yourself a time out you're going to take a deep breath you're yep. going to count inside yep. your head before you say words yep you know yep yeah yep well, way back we did a teaching series on the pause yeah the pause button and, yeah. and mm-hmm. people people talk to me about that all the time it's like they had never thought about that pause button that you can pause and rethink before the next action or words yeah yeah that's good the other thing is like um, just that rule in your head to say, I don't have to respond to this. Yeah. I don't have to engage in this. I yeah. don't have to up this. I don't have to win yeah. this yeah. argument. And then yeah. another thing was there were some of our kids had ideas or interests that I think scared us in on maybe like a faith level or something, maybe because we were worked up about, 
you know, I don't know, something. So to actually be interested in what they were interested in and ask questions and hear more, because we just had this imagination about what that meant. But when they actually talked about it and we listened to them, it wasn't as weird or scary as it seemed. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think every parent's had that experience where you actually ask them to tell you more and they're not even headed down the road you think no. they were at all. Exactly. Yeah. I have that with, I mean, not even my kids, but even my wife, you know, will say something that she's thinking about. Or also, and we've had the opposite where I've said something that I'm just thinking about. I have no idea what I actually think about some subject or about how I'm going to parent or something. And, you know, then she gets freaked out that I'm going to do something that's. Right. you know, completely different than what she thinks, or I get freaked out that she's going to yeah. go some way. And yeah. really, we're just talking, but we get so right. scared instead of just asking more questions. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about this, Yeah, right? We yeah. kind of immediately pull, throw up some sort of wall or something. Yeah, at the Global Summit, the lady, I think it was Brene Brown, talked about don't finish someone else's story. Yes. Oh, yeah. And that's what's happening in there. Mm-hmm. I hear these key words, and I'm finishing their story instead of investigating. Absolutely. And I, 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 that's one phrase that I took out of that, that summit was don't. So I started not finishing Linda's stories. Yeah. Because I'm so good at finishing her right. stories. And I, yeah. what I realize it is like I would be talking to my 14-year-old son, but I was projecting seven years into the future or to when he was 25 thinking, oh, if he keeps doing this, he's going to this and this and this is going to happen to him when he's 25. Yeah. But he's just a 14-year-old kid standing across from me. He's not a 25-year-old, right. you know, and so that's important to get a handle on that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's a lot of that. We have to watch for that fear-based response yeah. that we as parents always have. Um, well, the metaphor that uh, Chuck Swindoll years ago gave is as soon as we get to a little bit of white water, we think there's a huge falls coming. Mm-hmm. And usually after most white water, there's just a smooth stream. Well, and why picture. is it that we as parents always think a little bit of white water ends in a waterfall that's death-defying? Yeah. Good. Um, we kind of started talking about this, but um, Carla, one of the things that um, really struck me in your teaching was when you talked about the fighting words yeah. um, and letting them just fall to the ground, which seems like an easy thing to say, but man, seems hard to actually do. I know I just get uh, feel very disrespected in times, and then I just can't, I can't just it, let them go, mm-hmm. and I don't really know sometimes how to get past that yeah. without making sure they know I feel disrespected and they can't talk to me that way or yeah, uh, you know what I'm talking about? We had one kid that was particularly sassy and disrespectful. And I think we picked this up from maybe some parenting psychologist or something, but he just named his kid bucket of sass <laughs> and it kind of took the, like in his head or like no, actually literally, literally like, okay. cause I found myself saying that is sassy and disrespectful all the time. And she almost got like a, uh, she almost enjoyed it yeah. you know she's like well I've done my job here and if we could and just disarm it a little bit because she was an obedient kid so right. she might be de- sassy and disrespectful but she then did what we asked her to do and she was a good kid she did well in school she was you know a good fa- you know a good family member but she's just super sassy and it disarmed that for us now for f- some families that might not be okay but you can't control you might think you can control, but you're probably going to escalate to threats and punishment and shame with because you can't control what comes out of your kid's mouth. 
you know, it, because it's probably in their heart a little bit, right? So we just called her a bucket of sass. Hmm. And you, go ahead, Dave. You did something there that is is a such an important skill. You took a step back, and you said, "I'm not going to keep the focus on her sass. I'm going to take a step back and look at a bigger picture." She's a great student, a great family member. She does what we ask. And here's one area where she struggles. Mm-hmm. Instead of what I see parents doing is getting closer to the sass and trying to power up on it, forgetting she's like a great student, forgetting she's a good family member, mm-hmm. forgetting she's obedient, because I'm going to focus on this one issue. Right. And that's the downside mm-hmm. uh, of, of letting it become too overwhelming. So as adults, what do adults do? They step back. And they look at a bigger picture. Right. And for our family, we just decided that wasn't something we were going to go to war over, you know, but it's still not easy. Right. Right. Do you think all kids are going to uh, rebel in some way or they're going to act out in some way? And so that if we kind of go to war on that, they maybe that's their way of acting out, which is just maybe being disobedient at home. We go to war on that. They're going to do it another way, which is maybe worse. Right. Right. And because they want a little autonomy, right? They yeah. want to know that they have a little bit of power to do and be who they want to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Johnny, uh, it gets a little cloudy with our kids because we have the component of we're trying to teach them. Mm-hmm. But with just other family members, the idea of letting those fighting words fall to the ground where there is no mm-hmm. teaching I don't, I'm with my brothers or my wife. I, I'm, not in, I'm not thinking of raising them. Sure. It's easier to just let those fighting words fall to the ground. Sure. Um, uh, uh, with our kids, it's, it, we're, we're on a, like a dual thing where I've got to teach them to be responsible and you know, respectful. But, uh, so it, it, I have to choose how to deal with those words. Right. But in other cases, and I, I've... Uh, I've actually done, I love this part of Carla's teaching, the idea that just let those fighting words fall and just go on. And it takes so much power out of them. It's yeah. almost like I learned early when somebody's yelling at me, I whisper back. Mm. And it's really hard to keep yelling at somebody who's whispering. And so that's just a technique to downgrade the the issue. Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing that helps with fighting words is usually there's a reason people are throwing them at. So maybe they feel backed in the corner, you know, and that's, there's kind of like throwing your, their shoe or something, you know, is it that, or is it, yeah. And, and if I'm going to, you know, and this has to happen fast in your head, but am I going to escalate the situation? Cause I only have a few options, right? I can be like super hurt and crushed. I can escalate and throw some of my own back or I can, take a deep breath and let those words lay on the ground. And, and usually if you want to have a relationship with somebody, you have to learn how to do that. And maybe it's somebody you just have a marginal relationship with. So letting those words fall to the ground gets you out of the house sooner or, you know, something. Yeah. Yeah. But really I have to be in a healthy spot to be able to do that. I know there's times where I just haven't been in a healthy spot and something will happen and just sets me off. And I'm almost not really, you know, mad at the person that I'm, you know, kind of going off on a little bit, mad at something else or somebody yeah. else or something happened. And then I'm kind of taking it out on this person. Right. So a lot of it is 
right? I mean, getting myself healthy. Yep. Um, to be able to bring health in other relationships. Yeah. And I think um, I'm kind of a peacemaker by nature. So I can go a long time and take a lot. But if I don't, then at some point I'm going to kind of, if I'm not healthy, if I'm not talking to my friends, if I'm not taking some quiet time, then I'm going to do that. I'm, it's just right. going to all come out and it's not proportional then to what's going on. So I think knowing right. yourself is yeah. really important, especially I think those people that tend to be peacemakers and we tend to be rubber band parents, like we're super easygoing, but then, you know, you stretch that rubber band far yeah. enough and then your kids are just looking at you like, really? <laughs> <laughs> now this yeah. is the time you're going to like go off on right. us and it doesn't make any sense to them. And right. It's makes confusing. You, it is confusing. Yeah. It's yeah. not consistent. Yeah. Right. And it, it's, uh, self-awareness again mm -hmm. as an adult so if i'm if i'm getting stretched like that rubber band and i need to explode or i need to talk go find another adult right to talk <laughs> right. about i'm stretched to the limit mm -hmm. rather than explode on your kids right exactly you know uh self-awareness yeah and you know when it's coming yeah you know you it's feel not it. a surprise <laughs> um one of the things that i uh when i heard kurt's teaching um, he talked about this this idea that uh, you have to let your kids make decisions that you know are going to hurt them. And I know this wasn't in either one of your teachings, but um, within the series, I thought that was a uh, interesting idea um, that is just so hard, it seems like. Was that hard for you guys, or is it hard, Dave, um, yeah. with your grandkids to see that? Yeah, yeah. Or? It's, it's, partly a, uh, it's partly a seeing the bigger picture, kind of uh, taking some steps back. Um, uh, for us, we got there, Johnny, when we actually was challenged in our younger lives of decide when you want your kids to be totally independent from you. Mm -hmm. And we decided 18. Yep. We decided 18. So then what does that mean you have to give them for freedom at 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12? I was thinking this morning, we gave our 12-year-olds freedom to do things that some parents don't give their college kids freedom to do yeah. because of where we wanted to go. Can you give me an example oh, of that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, when do you decide what time your kid gets to go to sleep? Yeah. Mm -hmm. When do you decide what time your kid wears a coat to school? So <laughs> this morning, uh, one of my grandkids didn't wear a coat to school. Uh, uh, it's not a war. Uh, how old should they be before they decide that? And then those little steps, they control their sleep, they control their the warmth of their clothes. I mean, I'm at Pete Junior High this morning watching kids go in. S a bunch of them are wearing shorts. Mm -hmm. Well, Johnny, I've got a sweater, a winter coat. <laughs> but th they've decided and their parents have given them that freedom. So, fine. Yeah. Uh, uh, all the way to their schedule, their friends, uh, step by step so that when they get to 18, I mean, you don't get all your freedom the last 12 months. Right. You got to give them freedom over a decade. And so I remember the, our son, the first time we said, you go to sleep whenever you want. And he stayed up all night. Yeah. And the next morning, he was so grumpy and tired. But the next night, he went to bed really well. And so, you know, and I'm not saying when you should do that, but parents have to do that. They have to let their kids. And, and then along the way, they're going to make some mistakes that cost them. They're going to get lower grades. They're going to not perform as well in sports as they had as a goal. Mm -hmm. um, that's just what's going to happen. Yeah. One, of, one of the things that we did was with money, we gave them their enough allowance every week that they could take care of all of their 
pretty much all of their needs, their clothing, their shoes. And it was really hard sometimes because, um, you know, prom came around and they didn't have money for a prom dress. And we talked in advance, you know, you're going to want to be thinking about prom. You're going to be want to be thinking about what you want. But what it did for us is they, they really had to think about the money that they spent and they had opportunities. Now we some, I mean, obviously we helped them with a prom dress sometimes, you know, but we didn't buy a $600 prom dress. We would say, this is what we'll give you. If you want more than that, you need to make it work. And there were some hard times, but I think they learned to make their lunch because they had to pay for their school lunch. So they just decided I'd rather have the money. And if there's food here for me to take to school, I'm going to take it to school. And I think it made them responsible. Another thing it did was it helped take me out of um, sometimes daughters and moms bond over shopping. And I, that never worked very well for us. So just to have, it took shopping out of our relational um, kind of repertoire, you know, and sometimes we would go and sometimes I could just decide to buy something for them, but they didn't, weren't expecting it. And it wasn't always this dance. So I think that really helped with budgeting. And then I just think we learned from Dave about, I know one, a couple of our daughters didn't have boyfriends. And there was this whole c- Christian culture around if dating's okay. And really concerned us that they didn't date in high school because we wanted them to experience their first breakup at home. Oh, sure. You know, when they had us to process with and kind of had that safe landing place. Because how scary is that to have your first breakup or your first dating experience in college? Sure where you don't have people who love you and care about you. And I've heard, Dave, I heard you talk about, you know, you want kids to kind of experience things while they're under your roof, right? Yeah. That's kind of what Carl's talking about. Yeah, for the purpose of encouragement and being that base for them. Yeah, not to control them. Right. But uh, yeah, really, really. We really wanted that. Part of that's giving them the freedom to go and do some of these things. Yeah And make a mistake where they're Mm -hmm. still under your roof to be able to help them through it. Yep, yep. And then also the whole thing, just back to the beginning where we started to untie the image. So yeah. if I'm going to let them make mistakes, somebody's going to think that's dumb of Dave Bartlett. Right. And uh, they're going to tell you. And they're going <laughs> to tell me. I mean, it's amazing, Johnny, how many people tried to tell me what mistakes I was making with my kids. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And like, again, I just had to let the words fall to the frown and walk away. And you probably did make some mistakes, right? Oh, I mean, that's oh, I made all kinds of my mistakes. That's the thing. We're all kind of making yeah. this up, yep. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But peanut butter but fingers. Usually, right. the mistakes I were I was making aren't the ones that people name. Exactly, they're naming yeah. my strengths yeah. and weaknesses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yep. It seems like technology is a big one now. Yeah. That yeah, that parents have to, and and it feels like the stakes are really high, but. Kids are going to have technology when they leave your house if they don't figure out how to navigate it and yep. learn the pitfalls at home. That's that's scary to think about. Right, right. So giving them the uh, the freedom to kind of play with some technology and do it responsibly mm-hmm. and make some mistakes. Make some probably. mistakes. You know, some not completely taking it away, but also not letting it control their lives. I mean, that's difficult. Right. It is difficult. It's difficult to navigate. So, all right. Well, I think. Um, we need to wrap this up, but thank you guys for doing this. This was fun. I'm going to take some 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 things home from this. Me so, too. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And and I think just I want to say the, to the parents listening to this, um, you, you're probably doing a better job at playing chopsticks 
than you think you are. Amen. Right. And God is turning it into a beautiful piece of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys.